Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Thanks, you guys, for being here. Doug and Shahan. I'm in a hotel room in Indianapolis getting ready for Big Ten Media Days as we record this Monday night. Shahan is in his lovely home. You're in your lovely home with all your your awards behind you. Yeah, my uh, my Dougley Marie signed awards. Uh, don't don't forget about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I welcome to Indianapolis, or as I call it, uh, Title Town, because that's of course where Baylor basketball won their championship in my only 24 hour trip to the state of Indiana. So, uh, you know, enjoy that. Enjoy that. It's a you know, it's a place. Yeah, I, Indianapolis is like my second home. I've probably been here 90 times covering college sports over the years. One of the first times I came here was for the Final Four in 2006, the first time Florida won its championship. And a tornado went through downtown, and I was in TGI Fridays, and we had to hide in the kitchen. So that was one of my early introductions <laughs> to uh, – and I'm in that same hotel right now, and the TGI Fridays is closed. So it's a march of time, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Foreboding. Yeah. So, but I'm alive. I lived. I lived through the Indianapolis tornado. <laughs> I was like, why is there a tornado like going down the street in a city? So that happened. We're going to talk about Texas A&M and Arkansas today. We're going to ask if they should join our list of contenders. That list currently includes Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, and Baylor. Baylor made it in last week. And then we will rank all of our worthy contenders by how good their defense is. And Shahan, I went back and listened to when we ranked the contenders based on their defense a year ago, and we will go over how right or wrong we were with our rankings last season. <laughs> but let's start with these two teams. And one of the things that I want to talk about, and actually I'm going to delay the start of, of our discussion and the vote, and we do welcome you guys to vote with us. The, the listeners to this podcast get a vote, get a say in what we talk about. Shahan gets a vote, I get a vote, and our Twitter followers at CFB Survivor Show. Before every show we do like this, we put it out. Should this team join the discussion? Simple yes, no vote. If you want to be able to say, God, I don't want to listen to that team, follow us on Twitter so you can vote no on somebody. Or maybe you want to hear a lot about them so you can vote yes on somebody. The thing that we was a little bit difficult here, Shahan, is we're looking for the third best playoff contender in the SEC because Bama and Georgia are in. And that is not the easiest thing to do. I think it is very interesting trying to figure out who the third best team in the SEC is this year. It definitely is. Uh, I, I think that, gosh, I wish I had the graphic in front of me. Uh, ESPN put up a graphic. Obviously, they have that football power index stat, which I'm not a huge fan of, but obviously it does the job. Um and they had like the odds of every team winning the SEC. And it was like Bama 49.9%, Georgia 49.9%. <laughs> and then like, you know, it was just like, it was just like, there are two teams. And then, you know, I think that Texas A&M was at 1.3% and then nobody else was over 1%. So like, this is a two-team conference now. It might honestly be a two-team conference for like the next three years. Like, I don't necessarily know that that's going to change. Maybe, maybe Brian Kelly gets things together at LSU. Maybe uh, Texas A&M plays football like a team that recruits number one in the country. But uh, who knows? You know. So I, I think that it's going to be interesting. I mean, to say the least. The the third spot, I think, is open. I, I think, obviously, Texas A&M is going to get a lot of attention for that third spot because of the way that they've recruited the past couple of years. Uh, I, I think that uh, there's going to be some hot, exciting picks, right? Like, uh, I, I think Kentucky's going to get some consideration with Will Levis coming back. Uh, I, I think that a lot of people are going to get excited about Tennessee and South Carolina with their quarterbacks that a lot of people like. And I think that, you know, you look around at Arkansas, right? That's another team we're going to talk about today. Um, 
you know, Arkansas is a team that I think has been trending in the right direction, but can they reach that upper echelon? I, I mean, that's a tough thing to ask from them. So I definitely don't think that there's a consensus. I mean, we haven't even talked about freaking Florida or LSU, who are the second best, uh, you know, in contention for like the, the next best program am- among all those teams. But uh, it, it's going to be, I think, a little bit of a reshuffling year. It is hard because LSU and Florida are both in transition. And when you talk about programs, that's what you would be talking about. But they both have first year head coaches. And a lot of other teams are interesting, but nobody is a sure thing. When you look at the SEC preseason media poll, Georgia got 172 first place votes, I think it was, in the East. Kentucky got four. Tennessee got one. South Carolina got three. Vanderbilt got one. In the West, Alabama got 177. Texas A&M got three. Arkansas got one. When you look at the, the predicted SEC champ, Alabama 158, Georgia 18, South Carolina three, Vanderbilt and Texas A&M one each. So that is what we're talking about. And, 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 we don't have to talk about the Vandy vote. Sometimes people, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I think we have to talk about it for a second. I, it's just somebody bathed in in black. Are they black and gold? It's it, Maybe his name is Commodore. I don't know. <laughs> who did this? We still haven't heard who did this. I expected by now that somebody would have snitched, but we still haven't heard. I, I mean – like obviously it's somebody who wanted the you know to to make a joke but like that's crazy although i will say i mean vanderbilt getting one vote is obviously just somebody actively throwing their vote away i'm probably equally as concerned about the three people who voted for south carolina to win the sec because those were serious those were like actual votes that to me is a lot more concerning those are spencer rattler people yeah. Everybody was like, man, the reason that Oklahoma is not good is because Spencer Rattler's there. Wait, he's at South Carolina now. He gets to play in Shane Beamer's offense. Oh, hold up your horses, everybody. They're planting their flag. So if lightning strikes, they can claim it. The thing that I find interesting is the SEC dominates college football. The SEC has the best players. The SEC wins national championships. If we ran through, and we're going to, it's not an if, we are going to run through a quick version of the third best team in the Power Five conferences. Let's say that the two best teams in the Pac-12 are USC and Utah, and Oregon is the third best team. I think Oregon is better than the third best team in the SEC. Do you agree with that? I'd agree with that. If we think that Baylor and Oklahoma, because they're the two teams that we talked about, are the two best teams in the Big 12, that means we think Oklahoma State is the third best team in the Big 12. I think Oklahoma State would be the third best team in the SEC. Do you agree with that? I do, although I would say I think that Oklahoma State is probably going to be better than Oklahoma next year, but they would still be the third team. Big 10. Let's say that Ohio State and maybe Michigan, I mean, they made the playoff last year, are the two best teams, which means the third best team in the Big 10 is either Wisconsin, Penn State, or Michigan State, depending what kind of mood you're in. And even if maybe you would say Wisconsin, because Wisconsin's the overwhelming pick to win the West. Maybe you think Wisconsin's second and Michigan's third. However you shake it down in the Big Ten, I think the third best team in the Big Ten is better than the third best team in the SEC. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And in the ACC, if you think Clemson's the best and North Carolina State's probably the second best, maybe Miami's the third best? And and I'd take the SEC over that. I'd take the SEC third best over that. Well, that's close. I think there's actually probably a lot in common with Miami and Texas A&M. Maybe Texas A&M is half a cycle ahead on that. But yeah, that's that's the thing. I think that this is like year. I I mean, I know that it's year five for Jimbo, but like in terms of this like cycle of building a program, I think that they're more like year three Miami than they are year one Miami. So like and, and the other thing too, right? Like we obviously have to say, there's a chance that Texas A&M hits, right? And that this is finally the year it happens. I mean, they were in an Orange Bowl two years ago, but the fact that you can't feel confident about that heading into year five of Jimbo Fisher is pretty crazy. And we clearly are not talking about any, but there's such a gap between those top two and everybody else that that this is a big mishmash. Uh, Texas A&M was picked to finish second in the West Arkansas was picked to finish third, Ole Miss fourth, LSU fifth. In the East, Kentucky was picked to finish second, Tennessee third, Florida fourth, South Carolina fifth. So we're not disparaging the SEC, but it is a reminder, and we have had this discussion on this podcast, that really, when people chant SEC, when people say the SEC rules college football, they really mean Saban. 
Maybe mean maybe SEC means Saban envelops. Yeah, etc. <laughs> have that. You could you could copyright that. Saban, etc. That is devastating. That is so good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So if anyone wants to take that and make money off that, just cut Shahan a small check and we'll let you do that. That that it's really about that. And then Georgia had a great year last year, and Georgia is established. But I don't know if anybody else if you went into playing the name the third best team in the league game, I don't know that people would think that the SEC is probably no better than fourth in that discussion. And that's just the way it is. And it'll it hasn't been that way forever. Ask Joe Burrow, you know, ask Tim Tebow, right? We get it. But that is where it is right now. And so Shahan, when we said, hey, the SEC just had their media days, let's do SEC teams to consider to throw into the contender mix. We did two last week, so we kind of wanted to do two. I guess Texas AM is pretty solidly the team you would talk about next. You kind of guided us to Arkansas, but that got real. I mean, are we going to have a Kentucky discussion here? Were we going to have an Old Miss discussion? I got all wound up about Old Miss last year. Were we going to have a, does Brian Kelly flip it in year one discussion? Man, it just, I don't think it matches maybe what the perception is of the league. It's not that it's not that it's a, it's not that they're not good, but it's so mushed together. And, you know, it's easy to make fun of teams like, Wisconsin and Iowa and Michigan State sometimes I think God, how good are they really it's like well the middle of that league is is probably better than the middle of the SEC right now so I just I think it was a worthwhile exercise and even the Pac-12 that is falling apart and everybody makes fun of Oregon might be in the top 10 in the preseason so that's where we are yeah I, I mean in defense of the SEC because obviously they need an apologist uh I think that you know, when you talk about the SEC strength, the the one big thing that they have is they have like five teams that could conceivably win the national championship, right? And they're adding two more at their best. Yeah, yeah. And so, and and that's I think where their real strength lies is that they have like more potential programs because the Big Ten, you know, I would personally almost argue that in 2022 they have one national title caliber program. They're going to add another in USC. Uh, you know, the Big 12 has zero heading forward after Texas and Oklahoma leave. The the Pac-12 probably has zero. Maybe Oregon can be that. And and obviously, we've had our conversations about the ACC, Clemson being one, uh, Florida State and Miami having been them. I don't know if they are anymore. But, you know, that's that's what <laughs> the thing that gives the SEC so much strength is that they have the widest margin of error of anybody, like by far. Because one, because they have Nick Saban, that's a huge part of the the conversation. But two, it's like if Ohio State isn't elite, then like the Big Ten is not winning the national title. They're just not. They're putting a team into the playoff, but like they're not winning the national title. Just a very odd set of circumstances that would lead two programs like LSU and Florida to both have first year head coaches, to both have felt like we need to make a change, and then Auburn. Which we the peak of Auburn can win a national title. Everyone thinks their coach is going to get fired, and they got picked last in in the West. So those are three. Maybe they they can win a national title if they have like the greatest single season by a player of all time. Maybe that's the bar. They're a thorn in Alabama's side. They they compete with a rival who's the best program in college football history. You know this modern dynasty. So I mean, I get. Again, at their best, you can find probably seven SEC teams. It's like, what's your ceiling? National champion. And that actually wouldn't be a bad exercise. How many teams in the country really are there that their ceiling is national champion? Uh, at least half the teams in the SEC. And as you said, Texas and Oklahoma would, well, at least one of those teams would fit that bill. Uh, we almost. Well, well, one of them has the potential. <laughs> one of them realizes the potential occasionally. Yes. Well, actually, neither of them have since 05. So I guess, I guess uh, Texas technically is the more recent national champion team. So let's start with Arkansas. And we usually do this where one of us presents a yes vote, uh, you know, the the yes side of things. One of us presents the no side of things. I'm not going to present anything on Arkansas because you made you made us do this. So and I will just say (laughs) that the uh, Twitter vote was not very favorable. And I think a lot of this is perception. And I understand that. But the Twitter vote was, should Doug and Shahan discuss Arkansas among the playoff contenders heading to the season? 94% no. 
6% yes. So that is an overwhelming no. That means you and I both have to say yes for Arkansas to get in. So I guess I'm here for you to persuade me. Talk Arkansas. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so here's the case for Arkansas, right? Arkansas, I think, is one of the most well-coached teams in college football. Obviously, uh, since Sam Pittman took them over that first year, they really showed some signs. Last year, it came together. They won nine games, and they've steadily improved every game pretty much uh, of the Sam Pittman era. And so I look at the the way that they ended last year. They won five of their last six games. They played Alabama within a touchdown. They beat Penn State by two touchdowns in, in the Outback Bowl. Uh, you know, this is a team that really, I think, has shown that they can compete against some of the best teams in college football. They haven't won uh, all those games, but they've competed. I think that getting over the hump against Texas A&M last year was a big moment for that program, especially in this year that was supposed to be sort of this Texas A&M moment. And they bring a lot back in 2022. They have to replace some good skill position guys. But where I think you like that is uh, you do have KJ Jefferson coming back at quarterback. I think that he's somebody who people really feel like could make a big leap in 2022. So I think that you, uh, if you're betting on Arkansas, you're betting on growth, you're betting on quarterback play jumping from good to great. And I think that you're betting on more development uh, under Sam Pittman's identity. Now, the thing that I will mention with all of this is that they play Cincinnati in week one. That's not going to be a fun game. They play Spencer Rattler, South Carolina in week two. That's not like the most fun game either. Texas A&M, Alabama, and then at Mississippi State, and then at BYU. That's, that's their schedule through October 15th. So if they were to make our field, which I don't feel great about <laughs> them doing, uh, they'd be out pretty quick probably. But uh, I I think that they have a very legitimate chance by the end of the year because the back half of that schedule is much more manageable at Auburn versus LSU versus Ole Miss, you know, kind of in a little bit of a rebuilding year in at Missouri. I think that they have a good chance of sweeping those games. Uh, So I think that they could end up as the third, uh, the third best team in the SEC fairly easily. There's like a pathway to it. The issue is they might be dead by October 15th and it doesn't matter. If they beat... Cincinnati and South Carolina to open the season, which are two, those are, are, are very nice measuring stick games of, you know what? That's, I, I don't know that there's many teams playing two quality opponents like that in their first two games of the year. That's not usually how teams do this thing. I would be in favor of getting them in then before they play Texas A&M in week four and Alabama in week five, that I, I, I would want them in the discussion before they then have to play those two games. It's like, hey, congratulations. I get a nice little start. Oh, now you played Bama and you lost by 30 and you're out. So, but I just don't particularly understand putting them in now because a lot of the case that you made sounded like you're making a very positive case for a team to go like a strong eight and four. And that, that's what they did last year, though. This, this is the step on top of the strong eight and four. Uh, so uh, the other thing that I'll mention, too, uh, you can't just skip over that September 17th game against Missouri State. Do you know who the head coach at Missouri State is? Is it Tim Tebow? No. Who's the head coach at Missouri State? It's Bobby Petrino. He's coming back to Fayetteville. Oh, my God. That's their schedule? Are you serious? Yeah. They're playing like... This is the wildest schedule I've seen. In they're the playing... They, they play like... <laughs> Like legitimate non-con, like good non-conference teams, and then their goofy game is their old, reviled, loved, controversial yeah. coach. Did th- that's unbelievable. We're spending a lot of time talking about. Actually, I, I'll, I'll mention this on top of it. Okay, this is their non-conference slate this year. Okay, this is. I, I want to be clear. Arkansas is an SEC team getting paid like fifty-five million dollars to play sports. Right? This is not like this is not uh, you know Old Dominion. Okay, this is who they're playing in the non-conference versus Cincinnati. Then they play that Missouri State game, which is just like a dumb game. I don't know why you would schedule that uh, at BYU, who might be a top fifteen team, and then their like other game is playing Liberty, who's pretty tricky. Like. Who did this? (laughs) Whose idea was this? So at the beginning of this, you started making a case for Arkansas to go a strong eight and four. Now you're making a case for Arkansas to go five and seven. So my vote is no. (laughs) My vote is no. But they will go six and two in conference. (laughs) 
Yeah, they're going to go 6-6, six and 0-4 six, oh against the non-conference. We beat Bama, Texas A&M, and still missed a bowl. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I look, my answer is no. I, I just think that they have a chance to be the third best team in the SEC. I just don't think that being the third best team in the SEC is going to be worth a whole lot to them. So Arkansas is not it. Sam Pittman, everybody loves him. Good luck to Arkansas. Texas A&M, do you want to make the pro case or the con case for the Aggies? I will make the con case. Make it. Okay. So Texas A&M recruited really well. And I assume that's why they're in the discussion. Because I see no other reasons to believe that a team that went 8-4 and four last year is going to suddenly make the jump to 12-0 and 0 potentially, right? So they, they obviously bring in one of the best defensive line recruiting classes of all time. Probably the best of all time, but all those guys are freshmen. They're cycling a lot of those guys out. Uh, in the secondary, they have some nice pieces coming back, but they have to replace some others. Linebacker, I think, is still, you know, they're still pretty young out there. And then offensively, I, I expect their offensive line to get better, but they lost a great running back in Isaiah Spiller. Uh, Anaya Smith, a, a star receiver for them, just got arrested for a DUI. I assume he's going to be back but he was literally supposed to be at media days two days later and uh that's not the sort of thing you want to see from your star receiver and uh and and i think that at quarterback i like some of the guys that they have there but they don't have a star and i i think if you're gonna be a team that competes with either alabama or georgia you need a star at quarterback you need somebody who's going to to change the game and while i like max johnson a lot while i like connor wegman long term quite a bit I, I just don't see the vision quite as yet this year. They also play kind of a tricky non-conference slate. They've got app in the second game of the year, and then they host Miami. And like, that just feels like a very, an ACC team comes into here and gets some street cred for beating an SEC team that didn't end up being as good as we thought. So I, I think that there's certainly a path for them to, to be great, but the reality is uh, our only positive data point uh, when it comes to national contention is a COVID season. And until I see another one, I'm going to have a hard time trusting that Texas A&M can, can get to the next level. I would like to throw out to the TV network televising Miami, Texas A&M. You may use the third best team in the ACC, the third best team in the SEC. Who's the better <laughs> third best team in their conference? Because wouldn't that be a nice little round, round robin? It's Oregon, Wisconsin, Miami, Texas A&M, and uh, Oklahoma State. What a nice little festival of football that would be. So I'll, I'll make a positive case. You were talking about how they need a star quarterback. You mean like Zach Calzada, who beat Bama last year. So they lost their starting quarterback last year, and it kind of blew up their season. And they have three guys this year that I think they all trust more than Zach Calzada last year. And so it's one of those things where – I don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Jimbo Fisher at SEC Media Days made it very clear he doesn't know who the quarterback is going to be. I guess so, like right, probably Max Johnson or Haynes King, because Connor Wegman as a as a young guy probably isn't ready, but Jimbo didn't boot him out of the conversation. But I think the idea that those three are interesting and talented and competent enough that the winner of that battle will be pretty good. Is not an unreasonable way to look at it. Like, we don't know who it's going to be, but I don't know that they'll wind up with a starting quarterback by default or because nobody rose to the occasion. I I would imagine that somebody might tear it up in August and seize the job. So the quarterback play will be better. And then if something does happen to that starter, I think the number two guy will be more ready than the number two guy was last year, although Zach Calzada was awesome against Alabama. They lost Isaiah Spiller, but they still have their best running back there, our guy A-Chain. Love him. And they did lose some guys defensively. Yes, a lot of their talent from the number one recruiting class are first-year guys, but it looks like they might have about seven starters from their 2021 recruiting class combined, which was a top 10 national recruiting class. So they're starting to get some of that talent. So if they if they figure out QB, I think A-Chain is – not quite the top tier of running backs nationally, but he's right there in the second tier, I think. And and on an individual play, if you said someone needs to run 80 yards for a touchdown right now, I might take him over anybody in the country. And that, like they're coming They're It's probably a year early, but I've seen enough college football to know right when you start pegging years for teams, teams go early sometimes. So it's not that they don't have the talent. It's that the talent is young. And so when we're trying to get 10 or 12 teams in the discussion, 
that's not a bad case. It's not a bad case because there are some teams we talk about. It's like they don't have enough talent. Like, what's the discussion? Not enough good players. And that's not really the discussion with Texas A&M. It's that their good players are too young. So I think a yes is not unreasonable, but our Twitter people didn't give him a yes. On Twitter, much more support than Arkansas got, but it's 66% no, 34% yes. So you and I both have to give him a yes to get him in. And I will give them a yes. It's not a full-throated Love it, yes, but on the chance that solid quarterback play really changes it for them, um, and maybe some of these, maybe some of these freshmen start popping in here and there on that defensive line. You get a rotation going; guys don't have to, you know, do it every snap, but make some plays on third down, that kind of thing. I'll give it. To, I'll give Texas A and M a yes. So we'll leave it down to you to break the tie, yes or no. So. Here's what I'll say. I think that Texas A&M's quarterback situation is not just going to be better, but it's going to be like a lot better than it was last year, regardless of who starts for them. Because uh, Haynes King won the job and then got hurt immediately, and that was it. So like they didn't have their starting quarterback at all last year. Yeah, and and I think that Max Johnson's really good. I, I think he's actually gotten overlooked a little bit in some of these uh, SEC quarterback discussions. I mean, he he was not working with very much by the end of the year last year, and he was still he was still efficient. He was still accurate. I, I think he's actually a pretty Jimbo Fisher quarterback. Like, I think that he's going to be able to do some of the stuff that Jimbo Fisher likes his quarterbacks to do, maybe even a little better than uh, than what we saw from Kellen Mond or some of the guys before him. So I, I like his fit in that offense, and I think they're going to be better on the offensive line with a little bit more experience under their belt. Um, I still don't like the the receivers very much. I, I still think that this is a unit that needs people to step up. Evan Stewart's going to be one of those guys, and he is a freshman. Uh, and obviously, receiver is a position group where you expect a freshman should be able to step in and contribute right away. I, I just I can't get them to that top level in terms of legitimately competing with Alabama and Georgia, but. Here's the thing, right? I mean, this is just about competing for the college football playoff. This is not about competing to win the national championship, which I don't think that they're quite set to do. I do think that that Texas A&M will either be right on the edge of or in a New Year's Six game. And for me, I'm going to vote yes. And the biggest reason is this is a team that should be expected to be in that discussion. If they are not in that discussion, I think that we have to start asking questions about what's going on there. That it, this is year five, right? This this is a lot of years. They've had very good staff continuity. Now, obviously, they replaced a defensive coordinator. Uh, they've, they've had a lot of good players come through the program. They've had a lot of NFL players. They've had a lot of draft picks. Uh, and now they've got the number one recruiting class of all time. This has to be a year where Texas A&M proves that last year was a fluke. Because one of the last two years was a fluke. Either them going 9-1 and one and winning the Orange Bowl was a fluke, or last year was a fluke. It needs to be last year that was the fluke. And, and I think that uh, it's partially because I think that they can break into that group. And it's partially because I think that Texas A&M needs to have that pressure and expectations on its shoulders. After this season, Alabama's going to lose Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Ohio State's going to lose C.J. Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba. And Texas A&M is going to have a lot back. And I think it's possible that in 2023 – when we are doing this show, Texas A&M is going to be a popular pick to win the national championship. And I think it's possible they could be like number one in the preseason a year from now. They need to go 10 and two this year, the regular season. That That's my expectation for them. They need to go 10 and two this year. Uh, they haven't, they've won 10 games one time since 1998. That That's not good enough for a program that's recruited the way that this program has. They need momentum. If they really are building something and they know that, and I think Texas A&M would want to be in this discussion. Like, they want all the smoke. They don't want to be underrated. They they want people thinking they're one of the best programs in the country. They want to be in the conversation with Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State and Clemson. They want people like, what? what? Oh, yeah, Texas A&M. We're, make that five teams. Make that five sure things in college football. So let's assume they're going to seize enough momentum that they deserve to be in this playoff conversation, which means when we come back, we will be ranking the six teams currently in our playoff discussion. Texas A&M and Baylor, who have been added, and Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, and Clemson, who were the sure things that we started with. We will rank them 
who has the best defense in 2022 next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doug and Shahan back, and we will revisit, first of all, we should just make it a regular segment. Things we were wrong about. We did this a year ago, and we said, boy, oh boy, there are three clear teams that ha- when it comes to the best defenses in the country. And, it's, and, and that was not even just playoff contenders. We were only ranking playoff contenders, but... You could have done it for anybody. It wasn't like there was somebody that that we were leaving out. And you and I agreed on our order of best defenses among those contenders uh, going into last year. It was really a discussion. It was a Georgia-Alabama-Clemson discussion that we really dug in and said, it's these three, but what order do you put them in? Do you want to guess? And we agreed on that order a year ago. Do you want to guess what our order was? I think that it was Clemson, Georgia, Alabama. It was worse than that. It was Clemson, Alabama, Georgia. So we had Georgia third, but it also was a reminder of what people thought about Clemson going into last year. But we said all the right things. We knew how much talent there was on all those teams. And then it all just came together for Georgia. But I think that should inform our discussion about Alabama and Clemson as well, because Georgia lost so much. They have a lot. They still, there's new guys coming, but they lost so much. So sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. Let's rank these six teams in terms of best defense. We'll start with number six. Who do you have number six? To me, this is pretty easy. I I think it has to be Ohio State. There's obviously a path for them to move up, but Last year, I, I mean, defensive lapses kept them out of the college football playoff. It embarrassed them against both Oregon and Michigan. Uh, they bring in a great new defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles. But until we see it, uh, to me, they're they're clearly number six on this list. Who do you have fifth? I think that five and four are really close. Um, I ended up going Baylor five, Texas A&M four. But I think that you could have it the other way around pretty easily. All right. Let's let's talk about those three teams then, because I think there's a gap regardless. Right. So I actually had Ohio State fifth and I had Texas A&M sixth because Texas A&M lost some of their guys up front. And a lot of the guys coming in behind there are true freshmen. I think the Texas A&M secondary people seem to think will be pretty good. Ohio State last year had two things working against its defense. One was the play calling wasn't good enough, and they, they fixed that. They demoted Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator after after the week two loss to Oregon, and then they wiped out the defensive staff and brought in Jim Knowles for $2 million a year. So they did adjust that. But there was also a talent dip that was happening on the defensive side of the ball. Part of it was attributed to that. 2018-19 Urban Meyer out, Ryan Day in crossover. They did dip a little bit in recruiting, and that showed up last year. But they're going to have more dudes this year. There's a lot of second-year players on that Ohio State defense that are going to make an impact. Denzel Burke, as a true freshman last year, was their best corner. He'll be their best corner again. He's better. But they also have two top 100 national recruits who are going to be second-year corners and J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock that are going to play. That will make them better. They have a veteran like Zach Harrison back at defensive end, but JT Tuimaloa and Jack Sawyer were both five-star recruits at defensive end. They had moderate or minor roles last year. They're going to play a ton this year as second-year guys. Tyleek Williams was a freshman All-American at defensive tackle as a first-year guy last year. They're all going to be second-year guys in this defensive line. They're going to play a ton. Um, They lost Josh Proctor, who was their best safety. He got hurt in the Oregon game. It was out for the year. He's back. They just – there's enough – You're right. Look at last year. It was not good enough. It was terrible. But it's not just the coaching. I think there's enough of a talent bump coming 
with some of these second-year guys that I put Texas A&M 6, Ohio State 5, does that make you want to yell at me? No, it doesn't make me want to yell at you. So the thing that I will say, though, is that, uh, like you talk about, there's an infusion of talent. Um, but, like, I would argue that Texas A&M's infusion of talent is just as good, if not better. And this was a better unit last year. Uh, actually, the bigger question for me is... I don't love losing Mike Elko, and for a number of reasons, I don't love replacing him with GJ Durkin. But, uh, you know, so for me, like, I, I think that this is a group that's going to be one of the better secondaries in college football. Uh, Damani Richardson, and, and you'd expect that they're going to move over Antonio Johnson uh, to safety as well. That's, to me, one of the best pairings, uh, safety pairings in college football. I, I think that you trust that uh, their cornerbacks coming back. They, they have guys who have played there before. I, I really like who they have. Um the question for them is going to be defensive line, which has historically been their strength. They lose to Marvin Leal. They lose Jaden PV, a, a bunch of guys who have contributed big snaps for them. But like, I trust more that Texas A&M is going to throw some defensive line talent out there than necessarily that Ohio state's going to fill all these gaps, especially, you know, cause for me, I think that secondary is a position group that I like to see experience. Now we're going to talk about Baylor in a second and, and I'm going to contradict myself a little bit, but, um, but you know, for me, I'm more, if I see experience in the secondary, I tend to give that a little bit more credence than experience, uh, especially on the defensive line, because I think that that can be created. And I, I just like what Texas A&M has more. And, and again, if you're talking about a, an infusion of talents, I mean, Texas A&M just added, obviously, a recruiting class that I think will have legitimate contributors uh, coming back or, or coming in with this new number one recruiting class. And they also had a top 10 class the year before. And they also had a top five class the year before that. That was very defensive oriented. So I tr- if it's a talent argument, I trust Texas A&M uh, a little bit more. And I also think obviously it's always relevant that that Texas A&M plays a brand of offensive football that's going to make the game easy for the defense and Ohio mm-hmm. State plays a brand of offensive football that's going to make the defense hard. I would say that at its best when Ohio State was humming, they were recruiting and developing defensive ends and cornerbacks at a very very high level. Marshawn Lattimore, Denzel Ward, Jeff Okuda, guys like that at corner. Obviously, the Bosa brothers, Chase Young, Tyquan Lewis, Sam Hubbard, guys at that at defensive end. And they dipped. They did dip for a little bit there. But I do think that Jack Sawyer and JT Tumaloa at defensive end and Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, and Denzel Burke at corner are back, are getting them back into that groove. They're all second-year guys. And, you know, when they won the national championship in 2014, they were really fueled by a lot of second-year defensive players. So um, I do think... Sort of as we talked about with Texas A&M, some of their best, 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 best defensive guys might be first-year guys, where where this is sort of like more of a hit year for some of these second-year Ohio State guys. Again, they have a lot to prove. But like when, at safety, they have a like a three-year starter from Oklahoma State, Tanner McAllister, who's going to start at one safety. They have Ronnie Hickman, who was their leading tackler last year, at another safety. And then Proctor, who is like a multi-year starter who was out all last year with an injury. He'll start at the other safety. So they are experienced on the back end. They're talented at corner and defensive end. Their linebackers are still a problem. But um, it's it's interesting. It's all kind of in the same area, which is way, 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 way below Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama. I had Baylor fourth, and part of that because right Baylor on the defensive line is much more established, I think, than either Ohio State or Texas A&M, right? Let, let, me, ask, let me ask one more question. So – Obviously, in Ryan Day's first season as a head coach in 2019, uh, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda are left over from that transition period under Urban Meyer. Who's the best defender that Ohio State has developed under Ryan Day since then? Because it's a lot of the same guys, of course, but like who are coaching these guys. But I mean, I think that the way you run your team, the way you run your practices, the way you run your workouts, like that sort of stuff, I think can also impact in a big way. Uh, whether like whether you just assume that you get another Chase Young. I think it's worth pointing out, you know, like Pete Warner was a really good linebacker for them who was a second round pick a couple years ago, but they haven't they haven't had those guys as much. That in 2019 when Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were juniors, 
and then went on and were the number two and number three pick in the NFL draft. That was they were part of a 2017 recruiting class that was number two in the country that was stacked with defensive guys, and everybody knew that was the deal. And then the 2018 recruiting class, which had a bunch of five star guys, a lot of those guys didn't develop the way they thought. There were some big time guys that just maybe they were blocked by the 17 guys, but the 18 guys didn't develop. And then 19 and 20, they had a little dip in recruiting. So then that gets you to 21. And 21 is the guys I'm talking about. They're now second-year guys, Tumaloa, Sawyer, Burke, Hancock, Tyleek Williams. But you're right. There has been a defensive dip, and everybody's noticed. They made the national championship game in the COVID year, COVID year in 2020 with a defense that was not good enough. But Justin Fields just wiped out everything, and nothing else mattered in a weird year. I, I think that for me, I'm just – this is probably the year. This is probably the year that I need to see like legitimate improvement before I start to, uh, before I go to the point of being like, I don't just give them benefit of the doubt that they're going to find these guys. Right. Cause like a lot of teams have had recruiting classes like this and talent like this. And, you know, I, I think that being able to turn it into a chase young, a Jeff Okuda, stuff like that, you know, we've assumed this for many years at Ohio State. Uh, I, I think that 2022 is kind of like my probation year on that. And if it doesn't happen this year, I think that not that they won't have really good defensive players and that they won't turn them into NFL players. But the idea of having game changing defensive players basically every year, I, I think I need to to reevaluate some of that if the, if it doesn't happen this year. It's interesting because it sounds like you are potentially saying that an offensive head coach with an offense that is going to be one of the two or three best offenses in the country every year. Maybe there's correlation between that and the defense not being quite as, even though Urban Meyer was an offensive head coach, Ohio State really does have a defensive identity that the program really attaches itself to. And it has lost that over the last two years. It lost that in 20 and 21. It had it in 19. It had it in 19 for sure, led by Chase Young. But it has lost it. And and the question of, I would say most of the people around Ohio State are assuming it's a blip, but they're also paying Jim Knowles $2 million bucks a year to make sure it's not a blip. I mean, to make sure it is a blip. And you are asking, maybe there's something to the identity of Ohio State right now. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, this uh, look, we're, we're about to head into the seasons, and this is probably more of an off-season show that, that would have been interesting to do. But like, it is kind of going out of vogue to have the young offensive head coach, right? Like the wonk. I, I think that that was such a wave, you know, in the, in the era of Sean McVay, obviously Lincoln Riley coming up and then, then uh, Ryan Day, sort of the same deal. And um, certainly I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, give into too many <laughs> Oklahoma Twitter's biggest ideas, but like, you know, Lincoln Riley came in in 2017 uh, off of Bob Stoops, who was a defensive head coach first and foremost, and that was probably his best team, and the defense kind of got worse from there. You know, Ryan Day, obviously in 2019, inherits what was left of Urban Meyer's builds. They have their best defense, and it's kind of atrophied from there. So, like, and, and right now, it seems like it's very hot these days to, to hire defensive head coach. I remember 10 years ago, nobody wanted to hire a defensive head coach. Everybody wanted the exciting quarterback developer. So, I think it's going to be an interesting trend to watch over the next year or two because uh, everything is cyclical, right? It'll come back around the other way at some point. But I'm definitely kind of curious uh, whether this is something that becomes a legitimate question mark and and what Ryan Day, who I think is an incredibly smart guy, does to try to deal with some of these issues, in addition, obviously, to hiring Jim Knowles. Well, I mean, what they did is he calls Jim Knowles the head coach of the defense. He is, he is handing over the defense to – the guy that everybody wanted to hire last offseason and Ohio State said, name your price. This sounds like an interesting podcast that we should do before the start of the season. We can almost build a roster of offensive head coaches versus defensive head coaches and say, like, you know, which side right now would you rather be on um, and have that deeper discussion? Because I do think it's interesting discussion. Baylor. So I have. Texas A&M, six. Ohio State, five. Baylor, four. You have Ohio State, six. Who did you have, five? <laughs> I flip-flopped again. I'm going to go Texas A&M, five, and Baylor, four. 
All right. And so talk a little bit about Baylor, right? Defensive line, good. Losing Jalen Petrie on the back end, not as good. What is this going to be like a very good defense or are there question marks? Yeah, I, I think it has the potential to be a very, very good defense. Uh, it's going to be built different than some of the defenses that we saw last year. But, you know, I think it's going to be a little bit more, rep- uh, a little bit more like some of the 2019 Matt Rule defenses, right? And so it, just in terms of structure. So last year, you know, they had a pretty good defensive line. They had great linebackers. They had uh, elite secondary play. And Jalen Petrie was kind of that force who brought it all together. I, I think that this unit looks a little bit more traditional. They're going to have one of the best defensive lines in college football. Uh, Siaki Ika comes back on the interior. He was an all big 12 uh, selection. And then they added Jackson player on the interior as well, who was from Tulsa, who had, I think, like 13 and a half sacks inside last year. And so he was one of the top transfer uh, targets in the nation across different levels. So they're going to have a great defensive line. They bring everybody back from the two deep and are going to be pushing guys off of it with some of the talent that they've got coming in. Secondary is going to be a little bit more of a question for them after losing Petrie. They like uh, who they have at cornerback a lot, but these are guys who haven't played a ton. So like I said, I'm contradicting myself a little bit with the, with the cornerback talk, but they're guys who have gotten a lot of snaps in reserve roles as well. So it's not like they're putting no experience out there. And linebacker, they've got some guys coming back. They convinced Bryson Jackson to come back, who's a sixth-year guy for them. So they've got experience. I think they have an elite unit on the defensive line, and they have enough talent in the secondary that they're – that I really do think that they should be fine in that unit. So I, I think that they're pretty complete. And by the way, I, I do have to mention too, I mean, Dave Aranda out of these three units is I think clearly the best defensive coach of the bunch. I mean, Dave Aranda was the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football. You know, he transformed Wisconsin. He transformed LSU, led them to a national championship. So I think that you also have to give a certain level of trust that Dave Aranda is as proven a commodity as it, as it comes. All right. They're six, five, four. When we come back, we'll get into 3-2-1, the best defenses among the playoff contenders next. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Doug and Shahan, last year, Clemson won, Bama 2, Georgia 3. We both agreed. Who do you have three this year? I'm going to go with Clemson. So Clemson has... Not just the best defensive line in the country, but I think probably inarguably the best defensive line in the country. But everywhere else is a little bit of a question mark. They lose both their starting linebackers. They lose a lot of guys in the secondary, especially Andrew Booth, who was a fantastic cornerback for them. And I think more than anything else, I want to know what they look like with somebody who's not Brent Venables coordinating the defense. Uh, he obviously leaves to go become the head coach at Oklahoma. They promote internally. Uh, Wes Goodwin is is the guy who's replacing him. I don't believe he's ever been a play caller at the FBS level before. Uh, he came from an off-field role. Very, very young guy. I, I think he obviously has a bright future, but to just ask somebody to just do the Brent Venables over again, I think is a lot to ask for anybody, especially, you know, in some of these areas like linebacker and secondary, where I think it's going to take a little bit more scheming up uh, to fill up some of those holes. So for me, it to be clear, these, these like might be the three best defenses in the entire country, but I have Clemson third. I think they are. Yeah. If somebody wants to bring in the team that should be thrown in here with them, Wisconsin, maybe that, that like Utah. I mean, yeah. but it's just a, it's just – I think you're just talking about a different – Iowa's pretty good, but, like, it's just a different animal. So I will say that I have Clemson first. Okay. Just like last year. Yeah. And there's a couple things at play here. One is I think if you have questions about Brent Venables leaving, I think the shadow of Brent Venables can get them through this year sort of like – how when Chip Kelly left Oregon and Mark Helfrich got Oregon in the national championship game, and then long-term it was like, oh, no, no, this is not good enough. But while it was still the embers and the fumes of the Chip Kelly era, it was still pretty good. And and also, Wes Goodwin might be really good. But I think either way, I don't think that will torpedo this defense this year. Then they basically have all 10 guys on the defensive line who played it all last year are back. They're going to go three deep at some spots with legit dudes. And Brian Percy, who missed most of last year with an injury and will be back, Miles Murphy and Xavier Thomas 
like all might be all Americans. This is there are Clemson people who are saying this defensive line might be better than the 2018 defensive line that sent like four guys to the first round of the NFL draft. So if you think the lack of Venables won't kill them because they'll get by and the defensive line is awesome, is unbelievable. I think if we were breaking it up by defensive line, I don't think there would be an argument. They have the best defensive line in the country, both in top end guys. I think they have multiple first round picks there and in depth. And the other thing is this, they lose five of their six uh, of their six defenders who played the most snaps last year. Five of them are gone. But of those five, Andrew Booth, the corner, as you noted, really good. He was a second round draft pick. One other guy was a seventh round pick and the three other guys didn't get drafted. So they're losing veterans like they're losing James Skalski, who was a sixth year guy. But they are going to replace some of those guys with people who are much less experienced, but I think might have more inherent talent. And they are going to have guys like Trenton Simpson at linebacker. And I'm not – Nolan Turner was a really good safety for them for a long time. But I don't think it's blowing a hole in their defense. I think it is opening opportunities because they've started to recruit better in recent years. And I just think – it's not a bad thing. It's not, this is not against those veterans, but some guys, sometimes, especially with the COVID extra year and that kind of thing, you get some people in there that like you can't take off the field and there are top 100 recruits behind them saying, can I please play? Is it my turn yet? Can I please play? And I think that might be at play. So you've got deep, talented defensive line, intriguing, young back seven and it all will come together in a way where I really, really th- – and this is my whole Clemson case. It's why I'm betting Cl- Clemson's a good bet to win the national title. It's why I really wanted Clemson in the mix early on. I just think if someone's going to be as dominant as Georgia's defense was last year, Clemson's defense is that defense. And and I do have to I, I do have to throw a shout out to Andrew Makuba, who was the ACC freshman defensive player of the year. Going to be a tremendous player for them in the secondary, and also uh, from Austin, Texas. But I I understand what you're saying about uh, the draftable guys, but like that's just kind of their mo in the way that they develop linebackers too. They don't take NFL linebackers like James Skalski and Dalen Spector are like the epitome of of Clemson linebackers right like that that's how they like to do it what about Isaiah Simmons what about Isaiah Simmons he was the epitome of something I mean yes but he, they also played him all over the field so no and, and they do have some talented guys coming in I just wonder like to me that I, I understand the draftable thing that doesn't sway me that much I think that these are guys who are made to be college football players because they they construct their defense that way I think that those are two really big losses for them in Dale Inspector and James Skalski now they have uh Lord help us Jeremiah Trotter Jr. who's gonna be (laughs) he was the number one uh, number seven player in the country I covered his dad in Philadelphia uh, yeah, it's uh time keeps on ticking man but uh (laughs) but you know so, so they do have some talent there but I think for me my big thing is just, it's. I guess this is kind of like what we're talking about with Ohio State and Texas A&M, where it's like they have they have an elite unit. They have an elite unit, uh, obviously, at Clemson. It's a defensive line, and you're kind of assuming they can fill in the rest. And for me, I'm just like, well, if I want to know about an elite unit and filling in the rest, I trust Georgia more to fill in the rest with what they've done than I do Clemson right now. I will say when I was looking back through the Georgia defenders from 2020 and the jump they made in 2021, they had some very good defensive players, but I don't know that anybody realized exactly, exactly how good Georgia was going to be. And that kind of reminds me of this Clemson defense. Like we know they're going to be good, but I think they might surprise us with how good. So you have Clemson third. I have Clemson first. Who do you have second? I have Alabama second. I also have Alabama second. So I think the case for them is pretty simple. They bring back a lot more than these other two teams do. Uh, they also bring back, by the way, the 
best player in college football, arguably in in uh, edge rusher Will Anderson. I good think good place to start. Good, good place to start. Uh, obviously, I think that we think that he has a chance to compete for the Heisman Trophy. That's how special we think he has a chance to be. Uh, but but he's not the only guy back, right? Dallas Turner was somebody who stepped up in a big way during a true freshman season. I mean, he does not play like a freaking freshman player. I mean, that was that was insane what he was able to do last year. Uh, Henry To'o To'o is back for another year of eligibility. He's somebody who I expected to leave, but uh, but he's back for another year. I really like who they have uh, in the secondary. They bring in Eli Ricks at cornerback, who is somebody who is a pretty sure thing coming in from LSU. Jordan Battle is another guy who's uh, going to be a borderline first round traffic. Oh, he's great. So like they just have, uh, you know me, right? Like you like to to bet on upside. I like to bet on what I've seen in front of me. Alabama's the team I think that that by far has the most coming back that you trust and that and I think that they've got probably the highest floor of the bunch because of it. Uh look, they I, I don't know whether they have this is a crazy thing to say. I don't know whether Alabama has the depth, but I, I don't know whether they have the depth of talent that Georgia has on the defensive side of the ball specifically. Now part of that is because I think that Georgia also like sometimes just doesn't recruit offense enough which is a whole other conversation but like you know I I think that Alabama has a really really good one deep once you get down to that two deep I think that like half uh, half of their two deep is really really good too but like they have a chance to have a whole bunch of first round draft picks uh, on the defensive side of the ball and uh, you know we'll we'll see I, I think that right now even after all the years that he's been there, Pete Golding's a little bit of a mystery box. Uh, what what he kind of does with his talent, but I think that this has a chance to be one of the best Alabama defenses in a while. And I also think on the offensive side of the ball, uh, they're going to continue to be dynamic because they're a dynamic team. But I do think that they're going to rein it in just a little bit, uh, especially since they know that they can rely on that defense. So I think that this will also be a little bit more of a defensive friendly team than it's been in years past. So a direct comparison between Georgia and Alabama, preseason All-SEC voting. First team defenders, Alabama four, Georgia three. Second team defenders, Alabama two, Georgia one. Third team defenders, Alabama three, Georgia none. So overall, Alabama had nine defensive guys, All-SEC in the preseason on one of the three teams. Georgia had four. I do think of these three teams, I mean, Georgia has the least amount of proven guys back compared to Alabama and Clemson. I don't know that that's really much in dispute. So I'm a little surprised. The case the case for Bama is pretty strong. Okay, what do they have? Because Will Anderson's talking about they, – they have Will Anderson outside linebacker, but also Dallas Turner as a five-star and this Chris Braswell guy that everybody's talking about. They think they have three – outside linebackers who are going to terrorize quarterbacks. They might play them on the field together in some situations. That doesn't sound fair. I, I don't know if that should be allowed. They're talking. I mean, they think they, they're going to have the best group of outside linebackers in the country. And I mean, frankly, if you, if it was Will Anderson and me and you, you might be able to case make a case. It's the best group of outside linebackers because Will Anderson's in it, but Dallas Turner might be in for a gigantic year opposite of Will Anderson. And that's real. And then like every level, Right. Jordan Battle. He's like Lewis seen to me. I mean, he's everything you want back there. He's going to run the show. He's a great college safety. who's also going to be like a first or second round draft pick. Henry To'o To'o. That was a Ohio State really wanted that guy in the transfer portal out of Tennessee. That's a that's like a line in the sand a little bit like Bama gets him instead of Ohio State. That guy is an impact linebacker at the heart of your defense. I don't think they have a weakness. And then they add Eli Ricks as a transfer corner. Who again, like everybody in the country wanted that guy. I don't I I don't think they have a weakness. And by the way, they're the only one of these three teams that's bringing back their defensive play caller because Dan Lanning left Georgia and Brent Venables left Clemson. So my discussion really was between Clemson and Bama for number one. I so we both had Bama two, though. So let me make the case for why I had Georgia third before you make the case why you had Georgia first. Okay. I think roughly, I think I just tried to, I think you could make the case that last year Georgia had 11 really special defensive players, which is a ludicrous thing to say. Oh, only 11. But that's what they were. That's how they were what they were. And eight of those guys got drafted. 
Trayvon Walker. They got five in the first round. But it's like you look at the def- you know the tackles, Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, and Jalen Carter. All awesome. Only Carter is back. You look at um, the linebackers slash edge guys. Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Trayvon Walker, Nolan Smith, Channing Tindall. All awesome. Only Nolan Smith is back. You look in the secondary. Lewis Seen at safety, then Keely Ringo and Darian Kendrick at corner. All awesome. Only Ringo is back. So that's 11 awesome guys. Those other guys got drafted five in the first round, uh, two in the third, and one in the sixth. So that's that's where those guys got picked. So that is a lot. And I don't, it's not that I think the Georgia defense is going to be bad, but what do we know, know, know about them? I think we know Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, probably the best defensive tackle in the country. I think we know Keely Ringo, five-star corner, made the pick that sealed the game last year, like legit dude. And then Nolan Smith, former five-star, like awesome. Chris Smith back, like really good, right? See another guy? Like I I get it. it. It's not barren, but compared to like the Clemson defensive line, compared to the depth of talent at Bama, and then losing Dan Lanning on top of it, even though Kirby Smart is a defensive head coach, I'm okay putting him third, like great third, clear third. Like it's not an insult to Georgia to say, hey, defending national champion Georgia, who had the best defense ever last year, this year your defense is only third best in the country. Like I'm okay with that. So I'm curious for your case of why you made them number one. So I I think the biggest part of the case is just fundamentally like they've earned my trust, right? Like they fundamentally earned the benefit of the doubt. Uh, obviously, I thought that they were going to be a very good unit last year. They ended up being quite literally the greatest of all time. I, I don't think that that's something that you just go in expecting. Uh, something else that's relevant too. I think that it, it is obviously fair to say they rotate a lot. So a lot of those guys who were backups last year played a lot, right? Uh, Dan Jackson, somebody at safety who played a lot. Christopher Smith, like you mentioned, is back. I, I think it's huge for them to to get uh, both of their kind of corner linebackers back. They, they bring back uh, Robert Beal on one side. They bring back, obviously, Nolan Smith on the other side. Like, these are guys who I think could be difference makers on that defense. Defensive line, again, I just, I just feel like you trust it. Uh, Jalen Carter, I think, is going to have a chance to be what everybody said that Jordan Davis was last year because I think he's going to be called on uh, to do a lot more. They just have so many guys, right? Like That's just the thing with uh, with George is that they have so many guys. They had 27 players last year who played at least 100 snaps, which just feels ridiculous. 19 who played at least 200 snaps. So, yes, they're replacing a lot, but I think that you just trust that it's going to, it's going to come back. And the other part of it too, is that I think that when you look at the way that they structure their team, right, it, it is to emphasize the defense. I think that's a huge part of it is that uh, they're going to play an offensive style. That's going to protect the defense. They're, uh, they're going to be great schematically. They're going to adjust to fit the personnel that they have. You know, I mean, the funny thing about it, right, they they lose Dan Lanning as a defensive play caller and they bring in Will Muschamp, who's like, you know, whatever you want to say about what he does picking quarterbacks, like he is a great defensive play caller. You know, the idea that they just got him off the scrap pile is very unfair and also very Kirby smart. So I, I mean, look. We went through and pointed out every position group and why every player on their roster has a chance to be awesome at Alabama. The Georgia one is just... I bet against Georgia last year and I looked like a fool. So this year I'm not going to bet against Georgia and Clemson can make me look like a fool instead. So I will say one thing about me is I'm not afraid to look like a fool. So (laughs) I will say Georgia was a pretty clear third for me and my debate was between Clemson and Alabama. And if somebody wants to say, neither of you guys made Bama number one, like are you aware of the existence of Will Anderson and by the way, Dallas Turner and by the way, Jordan Battle? And like that's a very compelling argument. We might be wrong on that. Eli Ricks, just Henry Toto. They just keep coming. You know, and again, the SEC, I mean, the reputation precedes them, but like nine defenders in the first first three teams of the All-SEC preseason is bonkers. So a little bit of a split here. I have Clemson first, Bama two, Georgia three, Baylor four, Ohio State five, Texas A&M six. You have Georgia first, Bama second, Clemson third, Baylor fourth, Texas A&M fifth, Ohio State sixth. We will see who is right and who is wrong. Next week, I think my inclination is to do a Big Ten team. Should they get in? And an ACC team. 
of should they get in because we have not done either of those two conferences yet. Last week, two Big 12 teams. This week, two SEC teams. And then I'm sort of saving the Pac-12 teams for later. And then we have to remember the teams that aren't in conferences because you know what? They have feelings too. Yeah, so so next week, Big 10 and ACC will go ahead and uh, and we'll talk about USC and Notre Dame. <laughs> conferences are crazy, man. They're crazy. Oh, you guys are crazy. So the Apple show for Apple podcast listeners, listen, we do this one for free. We love it. Guess what else we love? We love the Apple Podcast Show. It's $2.99 a month. You get four episodes every month. That one, again, I am in Indianapolis as we record this Monday night. We are going to do that later in the week. We usually do that early in the week. But I'm going to tell you everything that happened at Big Ten Media Days that matters for the playoff. And if people want to ask me questions at CFB Survivor Show, shoot me your Big Ten questions. So we've talked a lot of Ohio State, but I want to delve into what Wisconsin may or may not be, what was, what Michigan may or may not be, what Penn State or Michigan State may or may not be. And then also, you know, what we learned from the Big Ten about the future of conference realignment. So well, it'll be a Big Ten heavy Apple show, but it'll be later in the week this week. For now, you can read Shahan J. Haraja at CBS Sports. You can subscribe to the College Football Survivor Show wherever you find podcasts. And certainly we appreciate you guys making time to join us here. For Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.